Star Trek, The Nerdy Frontier. These are the discussions of the Good Time Society. Their continuing mission, to explore each episode, to seek out new topics and ridiculous observations, to boldly watch what they've already watched before. Two points less on your entrance exam to get into the other exam. I just didn't expect you to apologize for my failures. I'm sorry. It's okay. It is a 3,000 point exam and I only missed it by 32. So it's like 1%. Not bad. Oh, Becca, if you weren't so cute, you would be obnoxious. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so funny you say that. Me, just like Wesley. Uh, we get away with it. It doesn't mean we're not obnoxious. Did you hear that? Jake, did you... Xander thinks I'm cute. Uh, I did. I, I did hear it. Message received. <laughs> Thanks for checking in. Well, it's uh, that's right. It's coming of age. It's the classic first season episode where Wesley Crusher faces the Starfleet Academy entrance exam. Meanwhile, uh, up above on the Enterprise, there is a very intense investigation from someone from the Inspector General's office. What a creepoid. I hate that guy. <laughs> Remick? Remick? What's Remick. his name? Uh, Remick. Dexter yeah. Remick. Yeah, oh, Dexter. <laughs> yeah. Real easy to say. <laughs> I was interested why they made him a lieutenant commander because it always felt weird that he was like bossing everybody around under rank a little bit, um, which I guess is what made him a little bit of an impotent character in a way and also kind of <laughs> made the audience feel like, oh, the, the Enterprise crew's got this guy under control in some way. He's just yeah. annoying. Interesting. I didn't pick up on rank. It's sort of like when people say dates in that information, I just am like not necessary and immediately delete it as I hear it. Because um, you don't think time exists in Star Trek, That's right? correct. I don't believe in time, period, or free will. It's a flat circle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I did uh, acknowledge the rank of these bell-bottoms Wesley has in his costume. Yeah. Actually, this, uh, the last, like, two or three episodes, I'd never really noticed the pants, specifically, like, the cuffs of the pants before. They sort of flare out, and they have the piping of whatever department color they're in. Uh, and it's really cool. Oh, I didn't notice the they piping. Have, I yeah. Cool. Like, Data's piped in gold, and uh, Captain's is piped in red. It's really interesting. Wow. So I recognize this because it is kind of a throwback to the um, original series movies when they had kind of those naval uniforms that mm -hmm. have, like, the crossover jacket and then the lapel that has their rank insignia on right. it. Um, they are also have, like, flared bell-bottomy kind of uh, ends on, on top of Very their Very 70s. Mm. Yeah. Well, this episode had some excellent costuming, and even though we're not particularly fans of Admiral Quinn. Okay, I did take a note of that rank uh, because he has a super oh. sweet dress uniform that I wanted to. Yeah. I wanted to remember what rank I'm gonna get mine. <laughs> it's got that crossover lapel with a real gold mm -hmm. uh, red outline because I don't know anybody Captain Picard and above gets red. Oh well, red is command. So if that you're on sense. the track for like I want to be a captain someday or I want to be in a command position. That feels like you got to get through a different rank first. That feels like you're skipping a step. You can. 
Yeah, yeah, you can you can start out in like engineering or or something in yellow or security even uh, and or science. Um, other captains have been scientists and things like that before. Picard here we even see uh, we, before we saw a call for him to come out and be an archaeologist and and not be on the Enterprise. Now we're seeing this call for him to return uh, to the academy as a teacher or uh, an instructor, um, because we all know P Captain Picard loves kids. Yeah. Uh, wait, we can't get there, people, because right now all we know at the beginning of the episode is there's an investigation of the Enterprise. Right. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Whenever somebody comes uh, in from the transporter and just uh, says, you know what, we have important things to do or we can't tell you about it, we all know that's trouble. That's happened like mm -hmm. several times in the first season already. Why isn't the crew just more like trying to shut that down right at the outset? Yeah, can we just all, <laughs> we're all going to hear, let's just spit it out. Also, they walked out of the transport room very confidently so this look could be exchanged between the crew members. Like, wait, what the fuck? Mm -hmm. But really, how do they know where they're going on the ship? Are all, are all of starships of this level exactly the same layout? Kind of, yeah. So they would know uh, sort of where <laughs> it's, our, it's the galaxy class. Uh, but, but to your point, Jake, that uh, at this point, the crew should be sort of fed up with this sort of thing. I think that's why we see this hair trigger temper on Riker, who's oh, yeah. just like, we've been through this before. Just tell us now in front of everybody, we need communication. Like, this doesn't work. If Picard wasn't there, Riker would straight up have punched Remick, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And and I think this goes to, but there's this sort of weird, like, 90s machismo sort of bullshit that happens, especially in this sort of time period where yeah. these characters are written to be like the man's man. It's like, oh, I'll fly off the handle if I'm not reined in by somebody. And yeah. And we even see the boys will be boys thing later on too with the with the shuttle escape. Let's anyway. talk about the scene by scene. So uh, yeah. we're on the ship and this Rimmick guy that is so annoying, he's the worst. I mean, he's just like Punchable. seeking something wrong is all we know. And Jordy says, just having the guy, that guy around makes me feel guilty, which is such a gross feeling. Absolutely. Of like, mm. he's just, see he's seeking something evil. And I wrote, this prick is all right for sure. Because uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. he's asking, mm -hmm. has the captain ever falsified a log? And that's the scene that you're talking about where Riker gets really in his face and aggressive. Riker, yeah. Riker stands above him when he's uh, about to be interviewed uh, with a pose that's very um, uh, Superman. Like it felt like he yeah, was Wonder auditioning Woman. for yeah, or Wonder Woman. Okay, he's he's auditioning for either of those roles. Uh, yeah. yeah, it definitely felt like he was trying to make a physical presence. Uh, I was very kind of surprised by that, but and Remick acknowledges it because he says, "Uh, my investigation could take even longer if you don't want to sit." <laughs> it's like, oh my god, is this gonna happen everywhere in the cafeteria over pudding? If my investigation will be longer if you don't give me what I want, get out of here, dude. Right. But then when he does cooperate, we get that Riker seat mount, the first of many to come. Riker uh, maneuver? It, but the, it is it is a Riker maneuver, but it's not the Riker maneuver quite yet. It's we see the, like the inklings of it with this. It's a sort proto of like, maneuver. Yeah, yeah. We, he sort of like vaults over this thing. And I had heard the rumor is that Jonathan Frakes had a bad back, and so when he was asked to sit in scenes, he would sort of. Le uh, put his leg over the top of the end of the chair rather than 
contorting to sit into the chair. Good thing chairs are so much smaller than he is that he can do that with ease. Right. <laughs> and then it started to look cool. <laughs> so our B-plot is at the Academy, and you guys teased me last week that we'd get to see uh, what Starfleet Academy is like and how it's similar and different from Hogwarts. Kind of. Well, here's the thing. I am such a sucker for this trope, the, like... You know, we're having an academy test and only one of you can get in and, and the test is a secret. I love that. It's a very anime. It's very... I I'm so angry about, about it. it. Why can only one of these very qualified <laughs> yeah. students be, be able to get into the academy? They're really hurting themselves because all four of these cadets are freaking amazing. Why wouldn't they take all four if they all pass a certain threshold? This doesn't under make any sense to me. Also, we've seen plenty of red shirts die who were clearly yeah. did not pass this test. Right? Right. Yeah. But that that's the thing. I think the I mean, we're getting towards the end with the lessons, but the overall thing is that the points didn't matter. It's where these people are at uh to become Starfleet cadets. Like whose that's line what they're is it anyway? Vet. Right. But wait, what so Mordock was further along, why? We didn't he had see taken any of Mordock's test tests many many times before. He had done something that Wesley recognized as a significant achievement and he was surprised that Mordock had not yet been inducted into Starfleet. And then we later find out that he's the first of his race, which I wrote down yep. to the B, uh, to, uh, to be inducted. A Binzite, which is like, well, what? Why are we discriminating a bit against Binzite? He's the first one? How long has Starfleet been around? Oh, well, that's the thing is that new races are joining the Federation all the time. Mm -hmm. And it takes a while for a race in the Federation to get sort of in the culture enough for their kids to want to be part of Starfleet, you know what I mean? Like we it's have just... to learn to accept his constant vaping. Right. Yeah. I did write down that I thought it was pretty cool that Mordok had this, you know, his own atmosphere that he had to carry around on a vape attached to his uniform. Because yeah. you'll see that with other Benzites too. Uh, like any aquatic race, you need to make modifications to life support. Yeah, absolutely. It's acknowledging that different alien races are going to require lots of different things. So I hope they continue to do that. It's, it's interesting. I loved Mordok's visual design, like his makeup All and then the apparatus and stuff. It was already great. And then when he spoke, he just talked like my neighbor. Like, like a nerd. He was still very much like, hello. <laughs> yeah. Prototype for Dr. Zoidberg. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. It was well played. It was so good. Yeah, you've got to get a picture for people who don't remember. It's kind of like this long Zoidbergy nose. I don't know how else to describe mm. it. Sort of like a There's little octopus on his face. Yeah, yeah, like jowls that sort of flap up with the <laughs> tentacles in it. Yeah. Um, also, I really like that they honored the strange Benzite sort of hand gesture um, right away. They like as soon as Wesley saw him, they sort of touched their hands together and, and shook them a little bit, which I know humans have never really done, and I think that's been done done away with. But it's great that they honor the Benzite tradition. Well, and that's also like a. I guess it's a foreshadowing of Wesley's awareness of culture right, right, right. for what happens later on. <laughs> That's true. O overall, I really like these sort of um, test uh, trope episodes because it's a good way to sort of um, check in with the values of the series as a whole of like, this is what we're looking for in our storytelling. This is what we're looking for in our characters. And we also get this nugget of like Wesley backstory and in extension, Dr. Crusher and Picard backstory as oh, well. I'm, I'm not ready to talk about the point of the episode at which I cried. Let's talk about, what'd you guys think of TAC Officer Chan? Did I say that right? What's a yeah. TAC Officer? Uh, tactical? Tactical, probably. That makes yeah. sense. 
Yeah, maybe something with the command, like, or with the academy, like a. Yeah. a He's pretty teacher. fierce and pretty type A. He's all about the rules. He's like, you call it a psych test. I call it a psychological evaluation based on behaviors. I guess you could call it a psych test. I like that. I think that. he's trying to, like, remind them that, hey, you're not supposed to overthink it or, like, prepare for it. But they do tell them what it is, so mm -hmm. they know to expect something, I guess. Yeah, you ruin yeah. the test if you know whatever we do is a test. We're supposed yeah. to fake you out and scare you. <laughs> Don't ruin yeah. our fun. Well, the, the real question was, so what then, that cultural test that happened with uh, the big boy, what was his What was his species name, the one with the uh, the hand Oh, flap? right. Oh, oh I, I got remember. you. It's the Zaldan test. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, you mean when he said things like, you blocked my path, you Bulgarian sludge rat? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, Will you bleep that, please? Lots yeah. Of, <laughs> lots of, like, got real feisty. So, that guy was big, yeah. like way bigger than Wesley. And so when Wesley stood up to him, I was like, holy shit, Wesley's going to die. Yeah, to recap, <laughs> they bump in the hallway, and mm -hmm. Wesley apologizes. This Zaldan person, who looks like just a regular surfer dude, but with a webbed thumb. Right. And, uh, <laughs> he didn't have a surfer's body. Well, yeah, sure he did. Yeah. He had a surfer's a hand. Surfer's hand. <laughs> and then Officer Chan, Tech Officer Chan, walks up and is like, what's going on here? And Wesley just steps up in his face and he says, come at me, bro. Mm -hmm. I, I love what his, his description was. Uh, Zaldans are infuriated by courtesy. They view it as a sign of phony social behavior designed to cover true feelings. And I was like, I want to be a Zaldan. Mood, yeah. <laughs> so a fun thing, like, um, I think this is one of the areas that Star Trek likes to explore because it's easy to do without makeup. And it's that challenge of social norms and what it might mean to another culture or another entire race. Um, this is not going to be the first, uh, or, the, or this is not the last time that we'll see the sort of argumentative uh, behavior of a whole species seen as like, this is just how you talk to them. Specifically, uh, we'll run into Tellarites, and it's just kind of known as like the trick of like to talk to a Tellarite, you got to be kind of mean back at them or they won't respect you. Same with Klingons. Uh, we learn time and time again, if you prove your warrior spirit or prove how brave you are, then you're on their level with them in some sort of way. So this is a sort of way to judge cadets' ability to adapt to a social norm that might seem outside of their species. Um, but Wesley just happens to have the correct knowledge uh, and, and shows it very well. Not because it just comes easy to him. It's because he studies. Uh, sure, if he weren't so cute. Yeah, and Mordok <laughs> says, wow, I wouldn't have passed that test. But really, it seems like he was also being tested. He was there and could have intervened and reacted. I think he failed that test. I think those points should have counted against him. Well, uh, that's interesting that you say that because when you're on a starship, it's not just your actions. It's how you support other members of your crew and, and what you do. And in this case, if he's saying he would have failed, he might have tried to uh, calm Wesley down or say like, hey, we don't need to be so angry. But instead, he stepped back and assessed the situation and, and moved forward. So. I think that one of the the cool things about this and these sort of uh, tests is that everybody's being tested, but in a different way. Hmm. There are different wind like conditions. That. How about yeah. that? Oh, oh, I understand that. <laughs> well, now we get it. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah, speaking yeah. of Mordok, uh, that's a name I would name an NPC. It is. <laughs> um, and to, to talk about uh, Tech Officer Chang too, um, the, not only the set of the Academy, but also 
this character very much reminded me of like old Trek, specifically Hikaru Sulu, which was a main character played by George Takei. Um, he had that sort of demeanor that's that's serious but playful. His voice was very similar to George Takei. And I think all of that was probably a deliberate nod of some sort. Very cool. Now, you mentioned the behavior of Klingons, and there's a scene that we're already sort of past in our timeline of the episode, but that was really significant and also is uh, Jake's Zoom background at the moment. The holodeck scene when Wesley is sort of contemplating, I guess he has an hour to kill so he can go back to the ship. And so he decides to sit in an empty holodeck. Right? <laughs> be anywhere. Well, he's deciding which memory he wants to replay so he can prepare Bleh. for a psych test. And uh, <laughs> he doesn't know what makes him fearful the most. And so maybe we should mention that we're recording this um, during a week of protests. And hopefully mm-hmm. these protests continue and continue for Black Lives Matter and for, you know, George Floyd. And... It just really struck a chord for me to watch Worf and the things that he says in that scene when he comes in and is talking about his fear and that mm-hmm. um, his fear, it's very difficult for him to depend on anyone for anything, especially for his life. And I was like, life of a black man, preach. <laughs> this was um, the first time yeah. I cr- like this made me tear up. Like not only from that perspective, but also just as a lesson as the character growth too of you know, the, the a lot of these Trek viewers are coming in with the mentality of like, it's weird they have an enemy on the bridge now. They've got a Klingon. Those were the bad guys. It's weird. And now we're, we're see, peeling back those layers and seeing that there is this humanity to Worf uh, underneath that like tough exterior. And I think that's needed, uh, especially with a character like Worf, who's just hard edged the whole time. Yeah. This is also interesting that because there's no enemies in this episode, there's like no real adversary. Now I know that, you know, Remick obviously is like a hostile mm-hmm. presence on the episode, but like everybody's technically all on the same side here. And like that's that's an interesting dynamic that keeps changing as well. They they don't they don't just always have a monster of the week to always deal with. They're, yeah. they're like you said they're testing tropes. Right. Yeah. The other, uh, while you bring that up, um, with the other trope that's going on with that A-plot is uh, what you could call a clip show, where you're basically reviewing um, the season so far, but they, more, they call it that because they will show flashbacks. And Wait, you mean like ring- intergalactic cable? Yeah. <laughs> no. Well, Intergalactic Cable is like a montage show of different short ideas, where it's like it's a clip, clip shows. <laughs> right. But clip episodes are like recaps of other things that have happened. But I thought this was better than, way better than a clip episode. Yes. Because I, I actually detest clip episodes. Right. And this was so much better because they're following a continuity of what mm-hmm. they've done already. And I really appreciated that. Yeah. Uh, so uh, one quick note on this. This is actually the first episode where Gene Roddenberry was not the showrunner. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maurice Hurley took over the job. And Hurley was concerned that the show's writing process had stalled under Roddenberry's leadership. So he personally paid for a holiday for Roddenberry and uh, Majel, Majel? Majel Barrett, yeah. Majel Barrett, his wife, uh-huh. uh, on the understanding that he would take over while they're gone. And upon his eventual return, Roddenberry opted to leave Hurley in charge of the writing staff. Wow, huh. that's really so, cool. Yeah. Really cool fact. It's interesting. Well, you mentioned um, it, it has a continuity of the overall plot. And what we get into finally when we find out, you know, in this sort of A plot, that the Admiral mm-hmm. was really trying to hire Picard away to work at the Academy. 
that's like a big overarching this mega plot because he says someone is trying to destroy Starfleet and I don't know who this adversary is, uh, mm-hmm. which is really really interesting because that's like that could be written out for a long long time. Well, uh, we it will get revisited. I won't spoil anything <laughs> for you. Uh, yeah. But yeah, the, it, it, yeah. Um, but it's interesting because the admiral alludes to like. We, Something's going on, and we I need people close to me. And so mm-hmm. all we know as an audience at this point is that um, he's trying to maneuver Picard into a political position, and Picard says no. So that's kind of all the seeds that have been planted at this point. Yeah. I thought it was kind of weird how Remick was – neither of them would specify what they were looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, that was like a weird way of just justifying them being around for 45 minutes. Uh, like they didn't even like have a fake reason, which I was kind of perplexed. They kind about. of had a fake reason, which is uh, your starship was stolen a couple times. You lost <laughs> control of it in various episodes. So what's that I about? Loved, I loved Jordy's reaction to that because uh, when he was being interrogated, Jordy kind of looks at him. And I would imagine what really what LeVar Burton would be saying is, uh, we have this ship taken over like every other episode. <laughs> yeah. Like, how is this surprising? Yeah. We've lost control of this thing constantly. Yeah. In fact, some guys just jacked it from Space Dock like two episodes ago. Don't Why even are you look investigating up that? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, I love when he's uh, interviewing everyone on the ship, and then he talks to Data, and uh, he says, I think that there's a lie in your log, and you're an android. You're not allowed to lie to me. Tell me the truth. And he goes, well, there's nothing wrong with the captain, and there's nothing wrong with the log, so I think what's wrong is your premise. <laughs> right. And I love that he didn't say something with you. He says your premise. And mm-hmm. it's the most objective way of, like, no, you're just looking at this wrong. And he said something about, like, He's, I can't remember what his words were, but Remick says something about, like, that's not acceptable. He's like, well, even if it's not acceptable, it's the, it's truth. the truth. Yeah, exactly. And it's so important to have a source of truth. I mean, to make it back uh, a topical and whatnot, I mean, we're all in this very weird space, which is why it's fun to escape with, with something like this project we're doing here. But just mm-hmm. the idea that there is an arbiter of truth. There is one set of facts that exist in this android, if we could just get to it. In real life, we don't have an Android, and so you know, don't don't you wish there was a data on every corner to tell you objectively <laughs> what is happening? Yeah. <laughs> no. Sometimes we have to have a lieutenant commander come in and boss us around, and like uh, without authority, that's bullshit. Yes. <laughs> uh, but but I will say I loved the cutting of of that sequence with the swivel monitor and the different uh, yes interviewee. That it, was so good. It was very well edited and uh, fun to watch. And yeah, I kept getting surprised by it. When the when the first one happened, I was like, oh, that was cool. And I was, I was writing the note, it happened again. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's exactly it. And then, um, like you said, like th- this is a good way to do a clip show. And I think what you were mentioning, Becca, this is sort of the first time that we've seen those isolated Monster of the Week incidents sort of come together as an umbrella plot of, of these are the voyages of the USS Enterprise. And that's all one thing. It's not isolated incidents. And this is the first time that we've seen all of this sort of come together and get an introduction of it's not done. We, w- there's there's an overarching plot that's going to happen. Uh, keep watching and watch closely. Another sort of um, cool thing that I think they did with that for people that are watching closely is that the test that uh, Wesley and, and the cadets do, or the, temp- the cadet hopefuls uh, are trying <laughs> to do, uh, deal with the antimatter and matter ratio in the um, chamber for it's the engine, right? It's always one to one. It's always one to one, and the thing that goes wrong in the shuttle that um, the kid takes to go run away is that he has the ratio wrong. 
So he was the candidate. You couldn't remember this in. one ratio? One to one? <laughs> but he was the candidate that would have gone in and failed that test. And they're proving that out in the field of what they're doing to test these candidates is legitimate. These are th skills that they're going to need if they want to take a shuttle and run away. <laughs> oh, Xander, great little Easter egg. That is awesome yeah. that you picked that out. Yeah, yeah, that makes so much sense. And we should talk about Picard's heroic savior of that boy named Jake. No relation. <laughs> Picard uh, is so good in this episode. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, what he says is, you've taken this shuttle, you're running away, it's going to crash into a planet, turn it straight towards the planet, Go yep. full speed because your engine's off and you're going to rev the engine and start it from a running start. But if you're tilted towards the planet, and Picard doesn't explain it. He's just like, no, it's going to work, trust me. Uh, yeah. When you're going down, you can skim off the top of the atmosphere and not burn up because you'll be able to start your engine right at the right time. And nails it. This is like the second Picard maneuver. Yeah, bouncing. Right. Like, boing, bounce off the atmosphere. Um okay. But what we see now is more of Picard's command style, uh, especially when when the interrogator guy is there and is in the way of like, you need to save this child. And he's like, move, this is happening. And you can see the communication between the officers. Um, I need suggestions. Remick is the worst. Remick is the worst. Like, in the middle of this tense situation, he stands in front of Picard, blocks yeah. the view and goes, this is going to be on you, buddy. Yeah, like, yeah. What? Get the fuck out of the way. Right? <laughs> but we have seen this command style reflected in the crew, uh, especially towards impressionable crew members, in that we've seen Data say, uh, I can't speak right now. I'm dealing with this issue. Do not come in here. And then... Uh, comes back out and says, these are the things that I was doing. Um, too much to explain? When he's explain. dancing away from a laser trying to kill him? <laughs> so we see that we're creating capable officers, and it's all under the leadership of Picard, who's teaching them to lead for themselves, whether that's taking in their anger uh, and reacting to a situation a certain way, or uh, peeling away an exterior hard shell and coming to terms with the soft emotions inside. I love this show so much. <laughs> well, you know, Rimmick really loves it, too, because yeah. later on, he's being interviewed, and he says, Sir, the only flaws I could see is that sometimes they're too congenial with one another because teamwork, and also a right. feeling of family. And also, yeah. I'm a complete kiss-ass, but Picard, when I'm done with this job, <laughs> I want to come work on the Enterprise, like, yeah. fuck no, dude, you got in my way, you were annoying to everyone, no way you're coming to be part of this family, never gonna happen. Yes, this, but, this is great, but it also builds in this baked-in excuse that these writers and this series had to deal with uh, in this reboot, in that we have seen in the early episodes a very militant Enterprise. We saw them take um, very strong command structure and say, this is how it goes. No children on the bridge. And then slowly they've been chipping away at that. And now we see that the Enterprise, this iteration, is the exception to the rule. Every other starship is very much working like clockwork and very much uh, officers and doing things like this. But the Enterprise D, this Enterprise, is functioning more like a family. And we will be able to see that in the writing style moving forward. And they can point to this moment to fans who are like, this isn't Star Trek anymore. This is the feel-good show, but in space. And they're like, listen, <laughs> we're doing something different, and we already explained it. You know who you sound like? 
you sound like this guy. <laughs> we know you want to be on the ship anyway. <laughs> it's clearly a sitcom because one of the kids took the car out of the garage without permission. Oh, yeah. To chase him down, right? It's totally right. true. Classic sitcom trope. The runaway. Yeah. Hey, you know what? I think Picard just couldn't have let that charade continue. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. And also the speech between Picard and Wesley when Wesley returns uh, from this test with some bad news and is really beating himself up over it. Uh, because everybody on the ship made such a big deal about him being so young, getting accepted into this test. He's already an acting ensign. Everyone's like, you've got this. You don't need to worry about anything. And yet he failed. And I think this is a, a theme that we will hear from Picard uh, over and over again and the theme of the show. It's possible to do everything correctly and still fail. I loved that he failed, yeah. Yeah. I think that's great. That's a great message for yeah. sure. Yeah. Another relevant topical message. I won't start. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm sincerely still confused why Mordok got it. Like, just because mm -hmm. Mordok was more experienced at taking the test? I think that it is a, a fake test. The reason that he Wesley didn't pass is because he's only taken it once, and I think points are cumulative of other times you've taken it. I think it's a load of crap, and uh, it's just a trick. Oh. Of course, everyone fails their first time. All right. Well, right into the Commandant's letter, San Francisco, California. Mm. Uh, we will put the address in the link. If yeah. you have any <laughs> feedback for Starfleet Academy, you can write a letter. Uh, <laughs> We should, we should talk about the psych test that we finally got to uh, because it yeah. was really beautiful, the pep talk that Picard gave him. But you mentioned at the beginning of this episode how we learn a really important fact about Wesley's history and his family and his dad, which is mm -hmm. uh, the, the test he's given. He has to save people from um, a nitrogen explosion of some sort and it's totally fake and the whole time we're like come on this is the test but the emotions are real and whichever Starfleet teachers were jumping in to pretend they were <laughs> dying horribly and couldn't feel their legs and were too terrified to move uh, really really <laughs> nailed it in there they're playing <laughs> acting here do you think those two guys went back to a green room afterwards like nice job Bob nice, nice job. job Steve yeah can you imagine they probably have to do it every year like they have they're the core <laughs> like ensemble of players for the trauma which scene is this is this the hydrogen one or the <laughs> yeah. one where we're in the vacuum and about to be blown out into space I'm too scared to move <laughs> let's prepare for both just in case uh, yeah, so this is a specific test because it's it's for Wesley because uh, this is the choice that Picard had to make, and this is why his father died, because Picard chose someone else. And this is also why earlier in the episode, uh, our favorite Remick guy um, said you, you uh, or said to Crusher, how do you feel about Picard? Because he he killed your husband. Mm -hmm. Now we learn exactly why that it could be interpreted that way. I, I kind of wish we'd gotten into that instead of it hinted at because the the details of what happened to Jack Crusher aren't really made available to us. We, we I mean we're told earlier in the seasons kind of that general thing, but like we don't know what Picard's choice was. We just know mm -hmm. he was commanding the Stargazer when Jack I, Crusher died, right? I yes. And I hear you, and I get that, but I also like this choice. And I like that, you know, there's this ambiguity because that's sort of what these traumatic stories become. They're like, I don't know exactly what happened, but this terrible thing happened, and these are sort of the parameters of it. And, you know, I, I think it's a good representation of this sort of traumatic thing, especially when you have to work with each other day in and day out. 
I think what maybe instead of actually the details of it is more important. Like earlier in the episode, I want to know that Picard did make that choice, right? Or like there was a choice involved. Then right. that sets it up for the ending when Wesley does realize it, because Wesley Wesley realizes it without telling the audience what he's mm-hmm. realizing. Mm-hmm. With that little, uh, but Captain, I mean, someone, oh, uh, or, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Oh, oh, it was, it was, oh, I get it. And then so, they have that beautiful touching moment, and the quote that I took away was, the only person you're truly competing against is yourself. Eyes right. on your own paper, people. So true. That's my favorite way to say that. Well, the other thing that I really wanted to bring up about the psych test is that um, I think part of me is of the mindset, these are young kids that have to go through this horror, like this traumatic thing that is personally designed for their horror. Um, but... On the flip side of that, with someone like Crusher, like Wesley Crusher coming into the Academy, they he's got baggage that surrounds him before he even steps foot into that building, you know? People are going to judge hiring him or um, anything in the future with his placement based off of like, oh, this is the guy that had that traumatic thing that happened to him. And when you put someone through a psych eval like this, you can prove, um, like with data, that this this person is either over this traumatic event or this is not how they will react in those cases. Therefore, they are safe to be on a starship. And so it's providing both this rehashing of this traumatic event, but also the proof of, you know, resolution over it or, you know what I mean? Like the, the ability to function beyond that uh, in a crisis state. But what happens yeah. if you know it's a test when you go back the second time? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why it's going to be different the second time, and it's tailor-made for each of the students. So if they know that it's the test and they go back and it's the same thing, they might be testing for something else. And so there's, like, these layers that you can sort of peel back within that, you know, test. Oh, they could. Fix all your traumas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Done. Well, uh, one more thing we got to mention is Picard dons a scant for the farewell dinner. And yeah! he looks so good in it. I just love when Picard wears a scant. Scant with pants. A pants scant. A pants scant. Dress mm-hmm. pants. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just have the note like, Picard is so good. Especially this episode. Picard is just great. He really is. He's fantastic. Such a well-written character played by such an incredible actor. I really love this episode. Yeah, yeah it was fun. I... I I initially was, like, a little frustrated with how um, unspecific the uh, interrogation stuff was. I was like, why are we even listening to this guy just yell at people? But as it kind of became clear that there's more to it and we can't quite reveal it yet, I was a little bit more intrigued. And I love love that we've set it up a continuity now of, like, Mm -hmm. hey, we've we've been on these adventures and not everybody in Starfleet agrees with how we've handled them. So the debates that even we've had on the show, they're having right now. So I feel great about that. Oh, and, of course, um, he had the big decision to choose not to become the commandant of the academy because he said no I will not become Professor X for another 11 years <laughs> <laughs> so we're if anyone's keeping track of how many jobs Picard has turned down <laughs> just put another notch in that belt <laughs> yep. oh well speaking of things we were keeping track of I think I said in an earlier episode I wanted to keep track of how many times someone transported away <laughs> before they could shut it down and I think this counts when Jake drove the shuttle out the without shuttle. Totally. <laughs> yeah. also what in what mechanical way could he automatically unbalance the engines that it's going to explode? Or what? No, he was lost control. Hey, he lost antimatter, power. okay? It's no joke. The reaction, yeah. There should be some safety mechanisms to there not are. just instantly be able to do. Do you want the ratio <laughs> to be off. one to one or one to a thousand? What do you think? 
too much he turned on the emergency. Yeah, yeah, he turned on the emergency thing, so maybe things went haywire. I I'll think it the, it's the scenario of we shouldn't have been that close to a planet when that happens. If it had just been like open space, it wouldn't have been a big old deal. But because he got yeah, caught, they just would have chased him. Yeah. Uh, well, awesome. Uh, our next episode, I have mistyped in my notes. I have it as Hardy of Glory, which I think it's Ooh. actually Heart of Glory. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Party <laughs> Who of knows? Glory. Party of Glory <laughs> this season on Fox. Um, <laughs> Worf's loyalties to Starfleet are tested when three fugitive Klingons arrive aboard the Enterprise. Ooh. I'm ready for more Worf. Yes. Yeah, well, you're yeah gonna, you uh, are. We really actually haven't gotten into Worf very much right. yet. I'm yeah. kind of surprised. I, I'm ready to uh, shift into Worf speed. Yeah. <laughs> Engage. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs>